Tonight we turn into God's Word to Revelation chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 11 tonight as we continue to look at the letters to the seven churches. We've just sung Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. The fight, the battle will not be long. Yet we know that that battle continues to rage and we sometimes get weary. And we sing those songs, and at times we are very triumphalist. We think, boy, we're almost there. We're going to win. We're going to to take over uh, and establish what needs to be established. But the Bible reminds us again and again that in this life we we will endure tribulation. And just a reminder of that, I was thinking about Paul's words in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, where he has been ministering uh, to the various cities there in Asia Minor, and he comes to Lystra, and it says here in Acts 14, verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, the place of his stoning, and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. We don't like that particular word, But it is a word that reminds us that there are many tribulations that we face, many trials. And yet God, who is faithful, brings us into fellowship with his son and delivers us from all hardship. And he calls us to press on. And he does so tonight through these words in Revelation chapter 2. I invite you to turn your attention to the reading of God's word from Revelation 2, starting in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, which we've just sung about. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. May it be for our encouragement and strengthening to his glory. People of God, things are not always what they seem. A person can appear... Poor, though they may be rich. The Bible says that here. It's not talking about material wealth, per se, as we're going to see tonight. But God measures in a different metric than we often do. A person can appear to be under the sentence of death and be at the very door of life. The scriptures speak about that in chapter after chapter. But how can you trust someone who speaks this way? Do you think maybe they don't know what's going on? And yet we 
know that the one who speaks here speaks with a deeper insight into what is going on because he has endured, he has come through it and is the victor. The one who talks here knows and sees the whole picture and has been through death and now lives forever. That's how Jesus presents himself to the church in Smyrna. I am the first and the last, the one who died and came to life. The book of Revelation reveals things to us that we cannot see with physical eye. The book helps us to see beyond the surface. Perhaps you remember, many of you do remember, I, I hope, the magic eye 3D art craze in the early 1990s. It was a computer-generated art. It was these images laid over top of each other. And if you looked closely, you had to kind of focus almost beyond the surface, and a 3D image would, would come out. And you could see uh, something behind all of the, 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 the confusion, it seemed, on the surface. You had to focus beyond the surface. Well, so it is with the looking into the book of Revelation. As we come to the end of Scripture, as we are those who've heard from Genesis on God's plan for the world and for his people, we come to this point and we say, now, can you see? Do you see the reality of what is coming because of all that has been done in the past. Look more deeply beyond the surface. Persevere in your faith that you might see. We don't want to become so busy or lack focus to such a degree that we cannot see beyond that which we have around us with our physical eyes. We look beyond to God and his promises. We're often led astray by prosperity, thinking that is our life. Or we're often led to anxiety in hardship. We shouldn't fall into either camp. Instead, we should hear what Jesus is saying. Press on, endure. This is one of the two churches in these seven letters that receives no rebuke from the Lord Jesus, but is held up as a church which has the right perspective is rich in faith, though perhaps poor in material resources. But looking back at the background, looking at the background of the city of Smyrna will help us interpret what John is talking about here. The ancient city of Smyrna was a was a port city, very prosperous there in Asia Minor, had a population of about two hundred fifty thousand people, and it was a, a nation that that or a city rather that prided itself in supporting the Roman Empire, being one of the first to uh, worship the emperor. As early as nearly 200 years before Jesus was born, the city built a temple dedicated to the goddess of Rome. And in the year 26, they set up a temple in honor of Emperor Tiberius. They boasted of being the first city to promote worship of the emperor. This imperial cult was permeating almost every aspect of society. Those in the city and those in the villages outside the city, if they did not participate in this imperial cult, this emperor worship, they were ostracized. They were not permitted to sell, to buy and to sell. If one wanted to become economically prosperous, one commentator notes, or to achieve great social standing, they had to participate in this Roman cult. 
It was nearly impossible to have a share in the city's public life without also having a part in some part of the imperial cult. So this this worship of the emperor almost came out of out of economic need. Well, it was driven by economic need, by the by the desire to survive. And that's what the uh, citizens of Smyrna wanted of the Christians. They wanted them to participate in this in this cult, to be good citizens, to support the system. There was also a large Jewish population in Smyrna, which was hostile to the early church. Many of the members of the local synagogue were willing to show reverence to the emperor. And they were all too eager to point out the Christians who refused to do so. Leading or pressing for the local officials to label the church as a dangerous cult. In 155 AD, the bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, was arrested for refusing to deny Jesus as Lord and Savior alone. Because he refused to deny Christ and because he refused to worship the emperor, he was burned at the stake. He was commanded to say, away with the atheist. For in that time, the idea was you were an atheist if you did not believe in the gods of the Roman Empire. And so he shouted at the top of his lungs as he looked at all those who yearned for his death and who hated Christ, away with the atheists. Away with those who doubt. A courageous man. An appropriate figure for us to think about as we think about, in this week gone by, the persecuted church and what the church goes through in other lands. This is something of the background of this city. Now we come to the understanding of Christ's words or the consideration of Christ's words to the church at Smyrna. He introduces himself with a description from the vision in chapter 1 where he speaks of himself as the first and the last, the living one. He says in verse 18, I died and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Death does not have the last word for the believer. We may say, oh, they died too soon. We often say they died too soon. We think that some factor outside of God's will determines our end when we hear those words. But God determines our days. He also determines how our death is to be remembered. And as we prayed tonight, he We have heard one of the early church fathers to say, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Well, these Jews that were in Smyrna were making life hard for the Christians. And of these Jews, Jesus said, they are of the synagogue of Satan. It was said in church tradition that Polycarp met, I believe it was Marcion. And Marcion said to him, do you recognize me? And if you know, Marcion was a heretic. And he says, yes, I recognize you. You are the very son of Satan. Wow. Heavy words. But you see, the sides become very clear. When when evil rises and the truth is under attack, we don't kind of get mishmash and kind of 
wishy-washy. We can see very clearly, or at least it helps us to see clearly, what is the word that endures and what is that which will deceive and lead to death. Well, these Jews traced their line back to Abraham, but as we learn in the scriptures, Abraham is the father of whom? All those who believe. He's not the father of those, well, in a sense, we could say biologically, of those who trace their ancestry to him, but he is the father, we read in Romans 4, of all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how he is remembered. The father of all believers. Denial of Jesus means forfeiture of the name people of God and forfeiture of eternal life. What led to Judaism's compromise or willingness to cooperate with the Roman Empire? Well, it was hatred of Jesus. In part, there were other things. There was certainly personal interest and greed involved, but there was hatred for Christ. We saw that in John 9, we see that in John 19, when Pilate tries to to release Jesus because he finds nothing wrong with him, no guilt in him. What do the Jews shout out? They shout out, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Their implication is, we are friends of Caesar. We are those who support the empire. We are those who see where we must look to be protected. They had become Friends of the world is what those words revealed and enemies of God. Well, this is the environment of the Smyrnian Christians. And Jesus says, I know this environment. I know your afflictions. I faced death at the hands of such people, but I now live never to die again. Verse 8, they did not need to fear those who could put the body to death, but could do nothing to the soul, as Jesus said when he lived. Jesus, as I said, does not give word of rebuke to this church, but instead says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. You are truly rich. These believers had been removed from the trades, from the trade guilds, for refusal to participate in the imperial cult. They were ostracized and left financially destitute. But they were rich in that they understood true riches are found in Christ, not in earthly possessions. We can hear that echoed in Hebrews chapter 10, when there, as the writer of Hebrews writes to the people, he encourages them to persevere, and he says this in Hebrews 10, verse 32, But recall the the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. Jesus warns 
elsewhere of the danger of being consumed by worldly treasures, by pursuits of other things less important. True poverty is the pursuit of the world to the loss of one's faith, the loss of one's soul. The one who stores up earthly goods for himself but is not rich towards God is truly destitute. That is the message that Jesus proclaims. He proclaims that salvation was coming to those who were destitute, those who were despised above those in power and positions of authority, even to the Jewish leaders, as God showed grace and mercy to them and enabled them to see true riches in Christ. Jesus says to the church, do not be afraid, or he says, we could say, to the churches, to this church in particular, but to the churches throughout the age. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful unto death. Suffering and tribulation should be no surprise to God's people. After all, we follow after Jesus Christ. Who suffered. He says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus tells the true saint that he should not be afraid of the devil's attempt to bring to bring compromise about in the church through threatened persecution. These are testings to distinguish between genuine and fake believers in the church. We see in Daniel how the angels of darkness come to tempt, to try to lead astray. God cannot tempt. It is Satan and his host that do so. But at God's hand, they are delivered. We must remember that Jesus employs the devil's efforts for the purpose of strengthening his people through these tests, purifying his church. He wants to prepare his bride for his coming. That is how he speaks of it. That's how it's spoken of by Paul in Ephesians 5. To purify. To remove all that which is surface. And to go to that which is much deeper. He doesn't want us just to look outwardly religious. He wants us to love the Lord from the very core of our being. He wants us not to focus on outward beauty. But on inner strength. Christ declares that the tribulation to come is going to last for 10 days. This is an allusion to Daniel chapter 1 where Daniel and his friends are are called to to eat the the food provided by by the king. They refused to do so. The purpose was to determine if they could be as healthy as the youth who who did eat the king's food. They said, please let us not do this. They refused to eat the food because it was food dedicated to idols. To do so would be to declare allegiance to these idols. It was not as simple as saying, well, we don't like this food. It doesn't sit well with us. It was much more significant. They did not want to show any allegiance to these idols. John, or Jesus rather, tells John... That this is how the church in Smyrna ought to understand what is taking place. This testing of ten days is a testing of their allegiance. 
This was bigger than simply paying dues to remain in the trade guild. This was a call to deny God. Jesus then says that the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. After the devil has done his worst, he cannot keep God's own from eternal life. He may be given the power to imprison and to deceive leaders to kill God's people, but the second death will not touch the believer. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. What Christ promises is an inheritance that neither perishes, spoils, or fades, but is kept in heaven for those who believe in him. He says, be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life is a metaphor for eternal life. I will give you eternal life. The one who overcomes the temptation to compromise will not be hurt by the second death. The Greek word for overcome here is the word nikao, Nike, which is interesting considering how much we, how much emphasis, how much money we put upon athletic achievement because of a product today. What is our pursuit? What is our desire? To support the empire of athletic prowess? To give ourselves to endless training so that we might be noted for the winning of physical competition? Or are we those who conquer by faith such that we will not be hurt by the second death, which is a picture of the coming judgment as we read in Revelation 20, verse 14. Jesus is not talking here about earthly glory from athletic competition. The reward is not a crown of leaves, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, but the gift of eternal life. Well, what then does Christ say to you this evening? You and I see the challenges, don't we? Christ calls you to look to him to make your way through the suffering, through the temptation to compromise, to deal with suffering before you gain the victory. I think a case can be made for the fact that Christianity has gone from something positive to something neutral to something negative. I was reading this recently. It used to be a positive thing to be identified as a Christian or to identify with Christians It's good to be seen in public with religious figures who were honored, respected. Slowly that's turned to something neutral, not necessarily a a negative baggage per se, but but just something that was was, was shifting. And And now we see that to be seen with well-known Christians or to be outspoken in one's personal faith in Jesus Christ is seen as something negative, something threatening the liberty of the empire. But we must remember that really nothing has changed. Christianity will never be accepted by all. Society really never was neutral. It may have seemed that way, but the antithesis has been and will be throughout this age. That animosity between God's people and those who stand against him. The enemy was perhaps less vocal in past decades, but he's been working behind the scenes masterfully. He's exploited our love for pleasure, for praise, and for ease. And what we see as a church that is 
spiritually weak and captive to pleasure and to ease. And we'll do anything to keep that position. Church has lost its way thinking that true power resides in being in right relationship with the, with the empire, with the right earthly group. Right now, many think that our greatest hope is in politics. That's where the real power is, and we need to win elections, and that will change the nation, we're told. What's the greatest issue in the election? Inflation. We've got to fix the economy, and then everything will be better. But true power is not found in capturing the political arena and reviving a failing economy. As important as politics and economics are, the real need of the hour is the need to repent, turn from our idols, from those things that we are pursuing, from that empire that we are seeking to prop up that we think is great and will endure forever. But no, earthly empire endures forever. Smyrna had a pride that it didn't want disturbed. Get in line and you're fine, it said to Christians. But if allegiance to Christ rattled the cages of the other idols, wrath was soon to follow. It is not a matter of indifference today, is it, to how we look at the culture. Christianity is still acceptable in America if if you talk about your need of salvation with one another here at church. Don't call any others outside of the church to repentance and faith in Christ who is both Savior and Lord. Such talk is offensive. Such talk that we must submit to the Lord Jesus Christ is offensive. It's messing with the other idol gods that have captured the hearts of so many. Many Evangelicals today have caved to the moral revolution because they don't want to lose status in the culture. Like the Jews in Smyrna who wanted to live on both sides of the fence, they opened the door to redefinition of all things biblical, creational, foundational. And they call it being gracious, winsome, if you will. If you stand against this, you'll be persecuted, ostracized, identified as the enemy, not as one who, well, that's not the type of Christian we are. We're not like that. Jesus asks, where is your strength? It must be in him. He alone can bring you through times of testing and trial. He doesn't promise you an empire here on this earth. It doesn't promise you that all the world is going to love you and follow you wherever you go. He warns that you'll be persecuted. But it is worth suffering for his name and for the word of God, for that is the way of life. Jesus sees the growing tribulation on the horizon and he says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death. 
It doesn't take much for us to find those stories. Perhaps we don't read them or we don't discern them today in our country, but pick up the Voice of Martyrs magazine and see how people give their lives for the gospel today all around the world. And their loved ones say, I didn't believe that our enemies would truly take it to this end, but I am so thankful to know that my loved one is with the Lord whom he served, whom she served with every breath. As I said, this past Friday was International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Many of us don't follow that, but we're commanded to remember those who are in prison for the faith and to recognize that we share with them in those sufferings. We are those who are to remember them in prayer and their loved ones who remain who have died for the faith. We ourselves are in a battle. Increasingly in this country, Christians are seen as dangerous, as extremists. They're told they must renounce all appeal to the Bible if they want to be included in the culture. Non-Christians tell us, all we want is neutrality. We just want neutrality. We don't want, we're sick of hearing about Christianity. We want neutrality. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. All people are religious. They will worship something. It's not whether they will worship, but which God they will worship. And they choose to follow a religion that they themselves set up. It's not whether they have a religion, but which religion and which morality they want to see dictating to whoever is in the empire. How do you equip your children for the daily battle? Through daily study of God's word, through the application of the truth, through a teaching of what is really going on behind the scenes, under the surface, not alarmist, but realistically declaring that there is a battle going on. That there is not a call, an honest call for neutrality, but a call to destroy the Christian faith, to eradicate it from the world. And God's people must stand as salt and light in the nations around us. As the people of old, we are to learn from their example how they they succeeded, but also where they failed, how they syncretized, how they compromised. We're not to be following after these other gods. Our family is reading through the book of Judges right now, and it is... It is a a healthy reminder of just how easily we can be led astray because we put our eyes, we focus our sights on something other than God and his honor. Truth wins. Truth alone sets free from lies and fear. Truth alone points to life. Catechesis, it's not flashy, but it's faithful. It's God laying before us what truly is wealth and riches. What we are seeing at present is a new religion and morality taking over. It's anti-Bible. It's declared to be good. Those who want to remove Christianity from the nation are not letting Christians to go off and do their own thing. They're calling them out and demanding that they declare that this is good. 
Not just, well, you can have your own opinion and we don't care. No, no, you need to call this good. This is a positive development, and if you do not, you are anti-American, extremist, and you want to take away the rights of all true Americans. What must you do? Jesus says, fear not. Be faithful. And I will give you eternal life. Do we keep our eyes on the prize? Do we set our sights upon that which God has promised cannot be taken away from us? Or would we rather have what the world says is the world but is sand through the fingers. The world cannot give life. Christ promises to do so. He knows the way, for he is the one who is the first and the last, the one who has died and came to life, the one who came from heaven and the one who has gone into heaven to be interceding for us, preparing a place for those who will believe in him, that those who believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And know a glory that far surpasses anything that we've ever heard about even in this life. Paul says, it's greater than what you've seen, greater than what you've heard, greater than any mind can conceive. That's what God prepares for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has faith will not experience the second death, which is judgment unto eternal condemnation. Or to fear him. The one whom Jesus says can destroy both body and soul. But he is the one also who can deliver both body and soul from hell. He is the one, the one true God who calls you to live for him. There will be days, times of weakness. But in your weakness, look to Christ, the victor, who though he was weak, showed true strength in depending upon the Father who has won the victory for you and gone before you. Bring your hurts to him, your confusion to him. Call upon God to give you strength and to sanctify you through your trials. The Puritans used to choose names that would remind them of biblical truths. One of my favorites is... Through much toil and tribulation, you shall enter the kingdom of God, Cromwell. She went by Aunt Tribby, less of a mouthful. But it was to keep before that community what Paul said in Acts 14.22, through much tribulation, you shall enter the kingdom of God. That we would not forget, that we would not turn aside. It is through the examples that are given in Scripture and through the early church of those who were martyred for the faith that we need to be reminded of what is worth living and dying for. And it is this, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so weak. God knows that. But he wants to make us strong in him. He promises the trial will not be long. 
And he promises life to those who hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To be rich, truly rich, is to be rich in faith toward God. May it be so for his people here. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you who love us with an undying love, having shown it in your Son, who is the one who died but who has risen, O Lord, strengthen us. Help us in times of weakness. Help us not to lose our focus. That though in the world's eyes we may be poor, we may be despised, we may be rejected, even as so many in other places are and know more deeply than we, even though that may be the case, help us to remember that if we are in Christ, we are rich. Beyond the world's measure and beyond the world's comprehension. Help us in our homes to teach the truth. And may you, by your spirit and in keeping with your covenant promises, call us and our children to love you and to serve you, to speak of you, to point to you as the one who is the one true God and giver of eternal life. Father, forgive our many sins, our fears and our apprehensions, our weakness in witness. Make us strong and bold in witness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.